I am your host, Matt, and with me as always is my co-host, Lorna. Hello, bonjour. Oh, oh. Mm. <laughs> We're just back from Paris. Mm-hmm. We've been on... Um, been on our jollies. Been on our late summer holidays. Yeah. You could tell it weren't summer by the end of it. It was mm. raining. Oh, yeah, we got stuck in a bit of rain. But we and did. I got soaked. Oh. Why is that? Because we share an umbrella and you're too tall. Mm. We um we went to a number of places which relate to our um past episodes. We did. We hit quite a few actually. A Maybe few nearly a tenth of the episodes. Yeah, we hit. We um went to Disneyland. Yep, that's Disney. That's um, a recent episode. Yep, we hit. Um, well, we walked past a, a Dali exhibition. Mm-hmm. They seem to have one in every major city in Europe. We also saw some Dali artwork. We did artwork. see some Dali artwork in the Georges Pompidou. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is last week's episode, Gallen. if you want to listen. Yeah. We didn't see that specific one, but we saw... Oh, that was a photo, wasn't Some it? Dali. We did see some Dali. Um, we saw... Versailles. Oh, yeah. We went to Versailles, the Palace of Versailles, mm. from our most popular episode, which I like to tell Lorna because it was one that I wrote. Um, yeah, get downloading mine, please, everyone. <laughs> uh, Louis the Fourteenth and the Palace of Versailles, episode two, a real banger of an episode. Yep, our second ever. We were newbies at that uh, point, brand uh, new. Now we're vets. Um, and whilst there was one other thing, but I can't believe we it was. saw the Eiffel Tower, which oh, is from yeah. the episode about. Flying the, Taylor. The Flying Taylor and the Glider King. Another recent one, yeah. The, the Flying Taylor jumped off the um, first level of the Eiffel Tower, tragically. Yep. And um, I realised quite how high that was, to be honest. Massive. I'm surprised he died. <laughs> yeah, spoilers. Oh yeah, sorry everyone. We, um, go and listen to that one, it's a good one. We, we stood a bit away from it and looking up and you can just see the little people on the first level and I was like, flipping it, that is a drop. It really is. It was also Paris was the where um, Zelda Fitzgerald and then the Lost Generation went to live for a while. Yes. Which relates obviously to our Zelda Fitzgerald episode. But today... Also, oh. another link, the what? Beat Hotel. Oh yeah, we went to the Beat Hotel where um, especially William S. Burroughs and Alan Ginsberg. Two of the Beats. Two of the guys we mentioned um, during the um, Beat Generation episode I did quite a while ago now. About a murder. Sizzle. Um, Lucian. Yeah, Lucian Carr and David Cameron. Lucian sounds like a bad name. Mm, it's like Lucifer. Mm. <laughs> I think that's what you're thinking. Today, though. Satan. All good things. No Satan. No then. Satan today. There's actually... You, I think you'll like this one. Well, part of it. So, we're going to talk about space. I'm listening. You're on board already. Yeah, I quite like space. Interesting story actually, um, about space and a roller coaster. Mm. Last week, me and I, Matt I went to Disneyland, this. and we went on um, what we remember from when we were little as Space Mountain, but it's now Hyperspace Mountain, Disneyland Paris. If you get the opportunity to go, Matt didn't realise quite what the ride was like and left it feeling very poorly. It is. Um. It's not good if you have uh, twists and turns. Motion sickness. I just thought it was a straight up, up, up and down job. No, it's, no. It's spinning. You get a bit of spin around. And it's all in the dark, in space. It's not um, good. It's not enjoyable. I loved it. Um, so if you go to Disneyland, try a space ride, and then that's how you feel when you're in space. It's torture. Um, I did have to think about that later on. Oh, but uh, I didn't mention it in the uh, podcast. I did think you'd bring it up, though. So oh. thanks for that. Um, but I wanted to talk about space today. In particular, I wanted to talk about the Soviet space program. Because mm. when we think of history, of uh, of space travel... Of the race to space. We think of the race, the space race. Mm-hmm. And specifically, the most one of the most famous events in human history. Landing on the moon. Mm. Or did they... Mm. We're not here to debate that, but uh, I personally they did. Think they did it. Um, so. Apollo eleven um, moon landing. 
1969. Good name, Apollo 11. But mm. I thought, what's Apollo 13? Because isn't there a film, Apollo 13? There is, um, which I haven't seen, Tom Hanks, others. But that is a, I think they were struggling to get him back. Houston, we have a problem. Mm, is that from that film? It was the seventh manned mission in the Apollo space program and the third intended to land on the moon. Why, what exactly happened? We'll never know. It was, well, it was a almost a disaster, apparently. But it was, mis- I think I might do some research on that after the pod. Mm. I'm into my research at the minute. Mm. But today we're not talking about that. We are... We're not even talking about Apollo We're 11. not, but, but I wanted to mention that because it was the defining moment in the space race between America and the Soviet Union. Yeah, because America won, didn't they? Well, that's... That's what I thought, really. But No, they didn't win other things, though. They weren't doing very well. I think the Russians were doing a lot better. Mm. And the Russians had a lot of stuff first. Yeah, well, so they you did could have done this report, to be honest. Significant things first. But America were the first to land on the moon. To land a human on the moon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that works. Yeah, so it depends where you set the parameters, I think, because... Now we think the aim was to get a man on the moon and America won, but there was a lot of other things leading up to it and after it. Isn't it weird that there was a race between two countries and it would end with a man on the moon? Didn't end with a man on the moon, but it it sort of did. Yeah, (laughs) a man in the room. Um, Waving his flag around. There'd be no dispute if that It actually ended with a handshake. Quite famously, apparently. I, I never heard of this, but um, I'm, I don't think I even mentioned it in here. But I think in 1975... That's quite a bit after that, six years. Yeah, but it had been going on since 1955 or so, um, the space race. I'm not being funny. This is very silly to me. Right. Well, Why um, race? Work together. So, God. in yeah, in 1975, there was a handshake um, as up in space, the... Um, uh, Soviet Union and Americans met on um, I think it was a space station one of the space stations at the time um, and one of them docked on the other one space station and then they um, you know it also seems silly they shook hands that they spent all that money sending someone up to shake hands well I don't no here. no no I think they went up to show the stuff but it was just a sign that that you know the, the uh, Cold War was coming to an end and that they were Aiming to have a better relationship in the future. Right, okay. I but they just risked all them lives. Spent no, all that time like, sending you know people cool. up. Space shake. Give them a handshake. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> would be cool. Wow. Good pi- I bet that was a good pitch, meeting. Yeah, I doubt they came shake. up with that. You're very good. Very mm, witty. Thank you. Would have taken them weeks I'm to glad get I've got space this on, shake. <laughs> on um, record. Um, so... Both, I'm not talking about the space shake today. Both wanted dominance. Like really want <laughs> Both wanted dominance in space technology, and in 1957, the Soviets had the lead in this in this race when they became the first to launch a successful satellite into orbit. You'll probably know it; it's very famous. It's called Sputnik One. I think I've heard of the name Sputnik, Sputnik but I thought it was a dog's name. You can call a dog Sputnik if you want. Four months later, the US launched their first successful satellite. So this, the US are lagging behind a bit. So it literally was a race, like, who can build it first and who can get mm. it, you know, safely up there. 1961, so four years later, the Soviets were leading again when they launched the first man into space. And that's what I mean. They did really well. They were going to win. Yuri Gagarin. Gagarin. Uh, Yuri. Um, the Americans launched three weeks later. Alan Shepard. Became the first American in space. I bet that was because of a panic. They're like, oh my gosh, they've got someone in space. Hurry up. I think they were, they, they were aiming for it anyway, but they just didn't they didn't meet it um, before the Russians did. And the Russians, when I had a look at like a list of it, the Russians had so many firsts when it came to space, to the space race. But at least in the Western world, these have been overshadowed by, by what Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and um, Collins... Uh, what did when they uh, landed on the moon? Not Collins. He he just went around the moon. I want to call him Michael Collins, but I think he was a athlete. Um. Anyway, I should look up his name. You should have just typed in Collins. I nailed it. It was Michael Collins. 
Um, oh, good on. Is there a film about them three? Um, I'm sure there will have been. Would have made a good movie corner. Um, there is a new mm. film coming out about yes, Neil Armstrong with Ryan Gosling, with Baby Goose himself, um, as the as Neil Armstrong called First Man. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking about Russia, Ilana. I'm listening. So the dogs? No, they didn't. <laughs> the Soviets <laughs> also launched. Imagine the if the dogs had been like the <gasps> Soviets and the Americans. The dogs joined the race. <laughs> Imagine the dogs are like, we need to send our first dog into space. Mm. Might get your dog flag. Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't. Oh, it was they the would Soviets. have the cutest space I know. as well. Please, can they be sausage dogs? <laughs> <laughs> Your stomach agreed. <laughs> it won't have picked that up. I really hope it did. <laughs> um, so you had the Soviets, you had the Americans, and you had the dogs. Yeah. And um, But it was the Soviets who launched the first Getting animal. Getting first. First animal into orbit. Uh, mm-hmm. a, da- a defector from the dog unit um, oh. went to the Soviets. <laughs> His name was Laker. A oh, dog. A girl. What type of dog it was, was it? Um, a, a nah, fluffy one. What did he do <laughs> when he got up there, or she? Just experiments. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> I don't know. What can a dog do when it gets up there? Nothing. I don't know. I mean, did it go out of spaceship? No. 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 So, Laker was, I think that's, that's how you pronounce it, it was the first dog in, into orbit. Yeah. First animal into orbit. Um, what other animals have they sent up since? Right, so I should look this up because I think they sent a monkey. What animals have been to space? Did you have this thought as well while you were researching it? Been to space. So apparently fruit... They've sent loads. This is on the Smithsonian Why have they magazine. sent a guinea pig? It's a literal guinea pig, isn't it, really? In the, uh... Yeah. Very, I'm, I'm sure they had a monkey. Yeah. Very good. Fruit flies, mice, monkeys, chimpanzees, guinea pigs, rabbits, frogs, reptiles. Uh, the most fo- uh, famous is Lakey. The dog launched aboard Sputnik 2, 1957. Um, the, the scientists didn't even consider returning Lakey to Earth. She died within hours of reaching orbit. You're joking. What? No. <laughs> um, That's disgusting. But they did then. I'm, I'm, we did, we're getting very sidetracked today. Um, Why are we carrying it on? They did become the first to bring plants and animals back safely from right, space. Right, well, as they well. can bring space animals back. But no, they can't not bring their own dog. <laughs> not space animals. As in, like, they sent one up and then they brought it back down. Well, clearly they didn't since Laker died. No, but they did after that. They were the first to do that. They were the first to send something, an animal up. They didn't find space animals. <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> okay. Um, Lana's had a drink today. Oh, no. Um, I really The not. Soviets also had the first spacewalk performed by Alexia Leonov. And first woman in space. Soviets. I like that one. I knew you'd like that one. But I'm just and lots down, more to too. Look it up. That's what I've written out. <laughs> all right, bossy. <laughs> but as I said, even, you know, all this stuff, you didn't, you didn't know any of that. I don't think. You might have I, kn- I knew some things, Matt. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> did you know that they had the first spacewalk? No. Did you know the first dog? No, I knew that they had the first... What was the one first before woman? that? Yeah, I knew the first woman. Oh, did you? And yeah. Yuri Gagarin, the uh, first man in yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sputnik. But but would you agree? I think I only know that because I went to a, a museum with a science exhibition. But yeah. yes, it is all overshadowed by Neil. Yes, I'm glad. Even and obviously the dog unit has been overshadowed by all of us. Um, but a huge moment that is not often spoke about, which I think needs some um, some light shined on it, mm. shone on it, uh, is the Salyut One and the Soyuz Eleven. Okay. I've just realised I might be pronouncing them wrong. Soyuz. Soyuz. So um, Salyut One mm-hmm. was the first space station hmm. this um podcast is split into four different categories but we'll we'll see so we've had one category which was a bit of history on the space race yep now we've got salyut one and soyuz 11 
That's the one category together. I don't know. Okay. We'll figure it out after this. It doesn't need to be conversed on the podcast. Salyut 1 was the first space station. It made important progress towards living and working in space long term and paved the way for future space stations. Obviously, today we have the ISS, the International Space Space Station. Space Special. Um, Salyut 1, though, was launched by the Soviet Union in 1971, so just a couple of years after Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. 47 years ago. That was your stomach again. Sorry, I don't know why it's doing it. 47 years ago, which I think is a bit crazy. Almost 50 years ago. Almost the age of our parents. Mm. It had three pressurised compartments for astronauts and one unpressurised area which held the engines and the control equipment. It was cylindrical. I've written that word and uh, word has told me, my word document has told me it's not a word. Well, you just pronounced it wrong anyway. How do you say it? Cylindrical. Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, I've just not spelled it right. Cylindrical. It was about 65 feet or 20 metres long and uh, 13 feet or 4 metres in diameter is why this point. So it's not massive, but you can you can stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had solar panels on either end, which were sort of like wings. As I said, it was launched in April 19th, 1971. Two days later, the Soyuz 10, not the Soyuz 11, set off carrying a crew of three towards the space station. The idea was that they would stay in space for 30 days, which is sort of unprecedented. Well, it is unprecedented. Um, They got up there, I've written mint, but as they tried to dock with the space station, they ran into issues. So although they could lock into the station... A problem with the hatch kept them from being able to enter it. And I hazard to say that I know that feeling. As a number of times I went through an entire day at school, got the bus home, to find that I had left my key, my front door key, at home, inside the house. Mm. And I would have to wait for two hours, maybe, for anyone else to come home. And I would have to walk to my grandma's and walk home. A good hour. So, I understand their feeling. The other week, Did that. it? Yeah, you were with me. Oh, yeah, I was. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this was almost as tragic, probably more so, that they got I think, there. I think it's a bit further. It doesn't really compare, Matt, to spending a day in work or school. doesn't compare to mine. Oh, my, no, oh, no, mine no. Okay. Because I think that must be, hurt, like, crushing. Like, yeah. You're like, oh... But these won't be kicking themselves because they forgot it because it's not their fault the hatch won't open. Whereas when we forget our mm. key, we're like, oh, but you'd be an you'd idiot. be annoyed though because you've gone all and it's great. Like so you can close. still tell people you went to space, but you could have stayed there up there for a month mm. and been like the first people to stay there the longest at the time. I'd be rushing back then, and be like, right, I'm rushing ready to go back again. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> But no, they literally locked on and you can see it. Like they can see. They're connected. Yeah, they can see the shit, but they just can't get in. Gutted. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I had a similar experience. Um, anyway, the Soyuz 10 crew had to eventually turn around and, and head back home, come back home early, which, uh, as mm. I said, must have been gutting. Things got worse from there, actually. That's a little note for you. During the re-entry process, a problem rendered the airy, air, written airy supply, I meant air supply, in the um, Soyuz 10, toxic. So one of the cosmonauts slipped into unconsciousness. Thankfully, they all survived with no long-term effects. But that must have oh, been pretty God. terrifying for them to... Yeah, I think seem like bad. everything was going wrong for them at the time, basically. But they're prepared for that, so No, of. they do. They do. June 6th, Soyuz 11 was launched. So what's the difference between that? Uh, two months. Yeah, a couple of months later. Not even that. Yeah, just under two months. Yeah, like six weeks later. And they, uh, they sent cosmonauts Georgi Doprovolsky, Vladislav Volkov and Viktor Patsev... Yeah, Patsevers. Pa- <laughs> I nailed that, I think, all three <laughs> times. Um, and that it was sending them up to up to the space station, mm-hmm. where after three hours, they successfully locked with the station. They remained on board for 383 orbits in the course of just over three weeks. How come the hatch opened for them? 
So they must have fixed it. Um, in the I'm, meantime. Yeah, so I'm not sure. I'm assuming from the ground they can mess with things up there. Or maybe they maybe, told them. Or they get the right tools. Yeah, and, and they went they up there. And, and, but, um, yeah, they, they managed to get on board. Uh, and they set a new space endurance record, being there for just over three mm. weeks. It was a huge, unprecedented step in space travel. They were basically the first people to survive in space in a non-cramped area, if that is some sort of award. I I think it should be squishy in there. Well, I'm saying this is a non-cramped area because they they Uh, went up. Everyone else before that had been in, you know, like a small shuttle and Mm. Armstrong and um, Aldrin had, had landed on the moon and walked out. But then they got back in it and left like a few hours later, or however long it was. But this is the first time that they've lived in like they've spread like, out. Yeah, and they've lived in like a normal, not normal, yeah. but like a regular room basically, and for three weeks, um, they did not merely uh, live in in a cramped spacecraft, but could move around. They used a treadmill and could carry out experiments on the effect of longer duration space space flight to the human body. And this is what I find fascinating is. They were really brave. I know I this think is obvious. All astronauts yeah, are really brave. but I think in recent years, I think this bravery has been somewhat forgotten. I think we forget maybe that people still like it's risk. You risk your life every time you step onto mm-hmm. the launch pad. So oh no, I have a lot of respect for astronauts. They have to be able to do whatever they can. Mm. Yeah, like they, they, like they would have been able to. They would have had to been able to open that hatch probably. Mm. They have to survive in and this little cramped space. Wrong, they yeah. have to remain calm, which is the tough bit for me, to be honest. All um, astronauts now setting off from, they all set off from Kazakhstan, all the the Soviet, mm-hmm. uh, or the Russian um, ones. And if you're not Russian, you have to look, be able to speak Russian and read Russian because everything's in Russian. Well, that's a good, mm. good shout. But um, yeah, the people, uh, and there's been deaths in not in the not too distant past as well from you know explosions and everything. Um, but these guys, three people, went up there and stayed up there, having no idea what that might do to their bodies or their minds. Really, mm. no one had ever stayed up there that long. Um, and it comes back into it in a minute that people thought that this wouldn't like completely mess with you basically mess with your body but i guess there's also like stimulators and stuff that can create a space-like environment down here so i don't think they were going in but this fully was blind. 50 years ago so like technology today we know like when i they still get up think there, it would have existed then yeah but to a lesser degree i think yeah yeah but i think they weren't completely completely unprepared no they would have been prepared but we know today that you know you have muscle atrophy and stuff like that when you go up into space. Yeah, that's why they do exercises. It is, yeah. Anyway, the uh, crew, the three of them, became household names in their homeland, thanks in large part to having their own slot on Moscow television broadcast live from the I space station. I love broadcasting from space station. It's good. That I didn't know they'd yeah. be able to do that back then. But, yeah, I didn't early know 70s. either, but I'm a big fan. On June 16th, smoke from a control panel caused the crew to consider abandoning the station. But the uh, unit was switched off and the problem averted. There was a few problems they had. I think I don't know if that is the electrical fire that I've read about, but there was electrical fire oh, going on. Yeah. Some but issues. I guess they're the first. Yeah. Um. And this this um space station was the first space station, mm-hmm. and it was in its infancy. Um, June twenty ninth, the crew transferred back to the Soyuz eleven. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, and people are getting annoyed. No. Um, and began to return to Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, as again, then the crew lost communication with the ground. Panic. Um, but I think that was sort of maybe normal. Like, you, I don't know if you're the, moving so fast. Yeah, I don't know if the communication lines were as um, strong as today. Yeah, solid as today. So on June thirtieth, nineteen seventy-one, the Soviet retrieval team were waiting in a remote region of Kazakhstan for the cosmonauts to land. A nearby he- uh, recovery helicopter noticed the scorched parachute of the spacecraft descent uh, module as it plummets towards Earth. By all accounts, everything seemed fine. Um, the, I think the module had sort of come down and looked fine. It was just on its side when it would have been normally face up. But apart from that, it was all fine. The uh, retrieval team got to the module and opened the hatch to find the dead bodies of all three cosmonauts. 
pretty much, as I say, everything had been good until then, apart from the control panel issue and that sort of stuff. They'd, they'd broken the record for how long you could be up there for, and it was supposed to be this huge moment in Soviet space you history. You can't celebrate it, though. Um, it was it was going to be a tri- triumphant rebuttal to the US accomplishment of putting a man on the moon. All comes back to this, this race. Um, back at Mission Control, they awaited news from the recovery team, and they were met with the code 1-1-1. And recovery teams always relaying messages about the returning on cosmonauts' health in such situations using a code, with five being excellent health and descending to one being fatalities. Oh, so that's an individual number for each of the three. Yeah, so they were saying dead, all three of them. Immediately there were theories about what had happened, um, and this is what I've talked about, um, the the idea of, them being up there for so long that it might have because mm. someone there was a couple of other theories but this was the most most interesting one i read uh, a guy called tom stafford had been the chief of nasa's astronaut corps since uh, the summer of 1969 i said corps it's supposed yeah, to be core. yeah um, i was thinking that the u.s were getting uh, ready to launch skylab uh, which was their own large orbitable orbit orbital station so they're, they're lining mm-hmm. up their own space station and the idea that was that crews of three would go up there and spend one or two months um on on skylab at skylab uh, performing a variety of scientific and biomedical studies in weightlessness before and this is what he he wrote about it before he was he was traveling in europe at the time before i reached belgrade i heard the news that the cosmonauts had died on their return to earth my first worry was that the stress of a long-duration flight had killed them and wondered what that would mean to our Skylab crews. Clearly, we needed to know more than what was in the news. So no one knew. It became, it got out, basically, that these this crew had died, mm-hmm. but no, no one, one knew, knew why. why. Back in Houston, Deke Slayton, who I looked up and he was an astronaut and he was working in NASA and everything, he was on the same opinion. Um, a year before... Um, couple of i think cosmonauts um nick nick nikolaev and sevastianov uh, could hardly stand after they'd been on an 18-day mission um and now uh, nebravolsky uh, volkov and patsayev had returned dead having been at, been in orbit for about 24 days mm-hmm. so he wondered in his autobiography deke uh, that's the name of his autobiography uh, was there something about being weightless that that long that could kill you so it wasn't for two years. Um, so, like I said, there was other other theories about what killed them. It wasn't um, until October 1973, two years later, or about, uh, that the US would finally learn the official cause of death. Two years? What are they doing? So I think the Soviets kept it to themselves. Why though? Oh, because they didn't well, want the Americans to launch Skylab, probably. Yeah, maybe. Or, or they were just very secretive at that time about sharing, like their secrets and yeah i thought they'd want to reassure the russian public though yeah maybe i don't know but um, i guess that's not a priority i don't know if the russian public knew though i don't think they would because you can't celebrate that no but i mean like i don't know if america only found out later on but the russians already knew like it was a known thing in russia that they died a certain way but, or I meant that they, they didn't tell the Russian public that they even went up there for that long. Oh, no, they did. They knew, they did. though. Because they watched them on TV. Yes, they did. Sorry. Got yeah, they, kn- they knew they were up there. They were like national heroes. And then they'd come oh, down. Yeah, it was a big shock in dead. Russia that they were dead. Mm. Um, yeah, and the US would finally learn the official cause of death due to a Washington Post report. Um, so this is what basically happened. Disaster struck uh, when a ventilation valve was jolted open during the re-entry depressurizing the interior of the ship a uh, sudden large drop in air pressure basically um cosmonauts at the time did not wear suits didn't wear space suits whilst in flight they wearing the jeans <laughs> i'm not sure but so all men uh, all three men were tragically killed and i i read on one, one website the sort of gruesome details of how this happened but i don't feel i need to share no, it no, no. and another website was an in-depth look at sort of the whole mission and it had like paragraphs and paragraphs on this mm. on what's happened to them um the men died and so the landing was done automatically it was an automatic system so that's why they came down still fine mm-hmm. um the deaths had transpired 
over 100 miles or so, some people say 100 kilometers, I've read 104 miles above the atmosphere, meaning that these three cosmonauts are the only human beings to ever died in space. Oh, because everybody else dies on the way down. On the, or on the way up um, in explosions, so these are the only people to have died actually in space. Ever? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, they're the only people to have been exposed to the extreme environment of space directly, because the valve or whatever broke mm, so it was all space it's, air yeah inside. vacuum it was a vacuum um apparently uh, i read that if they'd been wearing space spacesuits they would have survived mm-hmm. obviously because you can breathe in your suit mm-hmm. um richard nixon president at the time issued an official statement expressing u.s sympathies uh, whilst astronaut tom stafford did i mention him earlier yeah he uh he acted with a pole there as the crew received a state funeral and were buried in the Kremlin War Necropolis at Red Square, Moscow. Cold War tensions were beginning to break down as the two superpowers ushered in a new age of collaboration in space, and this would lead... Should have just been to collaborating all along for me. A couple of years later to, uh, to this handshake. handshake and the space shake. We'll get on to a little bit more as well. As a, re- as a result, several changes were made to the Soviet policy, but they could not be implemented while Salyut 1 remained in orbit, apparently. I'm not sure. But uh, there was issues with that space station Yeah, anyway. which they knew. So no further trips were made to the station. On October 11, 1971, the engines on Salyut 1 fired for the last time, bringing the space station into a lower orbit that would result in its eventual plunge purposefully into the Pacific Ocean. But despite its early death, Salyut 1 set the stage for stations to come after. The Soviets continued to put short-term stations into space for several years until they felt they were ready for long-term projects. And we had a few, they had a few more up there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the US sent up Skylab as well. Um, Although the uh, space station had a lot of issues, it was a milestone in space travel. Just over 10 years later, in 1986, the Soviet Union launched the first components of the space station Mir, which was, have you heard of Mir? Mm, no. Which was assembled in orbit over the course of a decade, which I think is crazy when they build the actual space station up there rather than mm. just sending up a space station. They build I it up there. I think it's bizarre to send it up, to be honest, because it's huge. Yeah. yeah, but... How do you send that up? But it's easy to build How it here. How much money does that cost? Billions. So, Mir orbited the Earth more than 86,000 times over the course of 15 years. Valery Polyakov spent 437 days and 18 hours aboard Mir, setting the record for the longest single human space flight. He was on his own the whole time? Valery, um, no, I don't think so. I think they tend to, like, nowadays, don't they send them up? They'll overlap, basically. Yeah. I don't know I can't who... imagine being on my own for over a year. Over an hour and I start to panic. Oh, he's still, it seems like he's still the holder. More than 14 months in one trip. Crazy, hasn't it? Still alive. Is he? Yeah. Why? 76. Um, Murr eventually returned to Earth on March 23rd, 2001, crashing into the South Pacific Ocean. They love crashing into the Pacific. What about the rest of them? Where's the Atlantic? I might want a bit of love. Of a sp- <laughs> crashed space station. Um, pieces of the ninth inhabited spaceport, the ISS, mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, were first launched in 1998. It was a joint project between five space agencies the US, Japan, Canada, Russia, and the European Space Agency. Do we fit into the European I- Space Agency? I believe Agency? we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I bet we have our finger isn't... in one of these pies. <laughs> That's now overtaken Mer as the as like the one yeah. space station that's been up the longest. But um, the big dog, Salyut One, needs to remembered as the very first mm-hmm. space station. Oh, yeah. And um, obviously, I just that linked into the sort of the tragedy of um, Soyuz Eleven. I thought I'd just end on a couple of space traditions. Yes. Specifically, Russian space traditions. We're doing a bit of Russian space yes. space history. So. There's quite a few, actually. I thought I'd just come across one or two, but I came across a, a handful. I actually read um, a book, um, I read a couple of books. I read Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. Not in preparation for this, by the way. This is just in, in my life. And I read An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield, who is a Canadian, um, I think. Canadian, um, I think they're called 
Space Tourists, Canadian. I love uh, I, that. I did not enjoy that. But let me just see if it says that on the book. Um, oh, this says training as an astronaut. Um, but I've definitely read somewhere that maybe Space Tourists is a different title. But Oh, they have Space Tourists going away. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. are. But that was um, two books you can look into. They're both very good. Um and I remember reading some of this, for, especially from Chris Hadfield's book, because he talks about the lead up to his... What he does, yeah, like his... He went, well, when he went to space, I think he went a couple of times. Did but, he do, like, like sports people, like where you look your boxers? Yeah, but he sort of talks about because you stay in this hotel in the middle of Kazakhstan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Oh, and you get, like, disinfected and stuff, don't you? Yeah, I talk about that. So, as crews... Um, Prepare to launch. They take time, first of all, to honour the first person to go into space, Yuri Gagarin, who launched on April 12th, 1961, and his remains are interred in a wall of the Kremlin. So maybe you go to the Kremlin first. Seems a bit religious. Yeah, and you sort of just say, here we go. We're, we're following we're in your off. footsteps. So, all launches of Russian Soyuz rockets lift off from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. So, the Russians lease the complex for about 115 million US dollars a year under an agreement that extends until 2050. Big bucks. So much money. Obscene amount of money. The prime and backup crews, because you always have a prime and a backup crew for uh, space launches, remain in quarantine at the Cosmonaut Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just cut this in. The Cosmonaut Hotel. Um. <laughs> I hope you don't cut I won't that out. Cut that out. But <laughs> Cosmonaut Hotel is a great name, isn't it? Yeah, I prefer Cosmonaut Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> um, you in quarantine there. Yeah, yeah. Just, just ahead of the launch. <laughs> About five days before launch, they take part in a flag raising ceremony, depicting the countries participating in the le- in the next launch to the ISS. So backup crews, do they all have an understudy then? How many backup? How many's in the backup crew? I think three. So I think you've got you three. A main three, and then three, three backups. Oh, do you think if you're an understudy, the next time someone's going, it's you not get acting. I don't think. <laughs> I don't know if they call them an understudy, but right. If you're a backup, you I don't know. Actually, next time you're top potentially, of the list. maybe yeah. But you you train for your specific mission. So then they might be... Might depend on your skill set and your size and all sorts. And they might already have people training for the next mission if it's going in six months' time. Well, that's rude. My backup crew's been training for ages for this one and he didn't get to go. <laughs> they might get to go. You don't know what's going to happen. But anyway, anyway. So they do a flag raising <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> so these are quite standard. These are quite nice ones. So it feels very religious for me. I feel like they're going on a pilgrimage. It gets quite interesting. I'm speak. not saying this isn't interesting, but these are like quite standard stuff. Mm-hmm. They also have um, a, a place called Cosmonaut Alley, which is a grove of trees planted by all the crews who ever flew from the Cosmodrome. So they go and plant a tree. As a crew, they go and plant a tree. Your face, I don't know, it's just confusion. <laughs> what? Yeah, why a tree? Sign a new life. Um, oh, thank you. I don't good. know why. It's, but Gagarin, um, Yuri. Yuri was the first to plant a tree here, and he his tree still stands today. It's quite I nice. Think I think so because trees last for hundreds of years. Well, yeah, but no one's cut it down. It's quite nice that yeah. that you'll have. I'm assuming it's like a line from like biggest to smallest. Oh, they're all growing. I'm not sure though, but I like to think so. I did see a picture of a crew um, planting it together. It was nice. They, uh, they meet I guess the... it's all little team building activities before the big one. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think they've got all. I think they're pretty good team by now. To be honest, <laughs> you'd hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you'd hope they're more prepared than plant this tree together. Um, they meet the press. Ooh. Their last public appearance. Oh, they answer questions, don't they? That's what they do. Yeah, with the press. <laughs> uh, and they sit behind glass to protect them from any germs that the press might. Yeah, have. press are full of germs. <laughs> Them journalists, them writers, covered in germs. So, anyway, I don't know Not why. other writers, just Matt. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> two days before launch, on the same day that... I thought they... you were going to say my name then. <laughs> why? I just said Lon. No, I said two days before launch. <laughs> Lana. On the same day that the rocket is being erected, the prime and backup crews get haircuts. 
Yeah, because that guy went on for over a year. Who cut his hair? I'm not, oh, he shaved. His, did he not shave his moustache? Moustache. I'm thinking, <laughs> of, really am I thinking of Chris Hadfield or Tim Peake? Maybe mm. Chris Hadfield. I think he had a moustache. But like clipping it, because it just goes, doesn't it? It just disappears. It gets into oh, stuff, yeah. so you've got to be really careful. What, for cutting your hair? Yeah. Because when you cut, if say like you cut your moustache, I don't have one. Say that you cut your moustache, all the hair's just going different. Yeah, but they catch things. They're very clever. But that's what I mean. They They're have nifty. to. So there's loads of good videos. What about videos. girls? Because if you have your hair down and you've got long hair, it's just going to go up. I'm not sure. It's not going to stay down and curly do, Maybe, is it? Um, read one of these books or okay. Google, um, it. Google it or look at Tim Peake. He made loads of videos of like real, like everyday things in space, didn't he? Mm, I've seen him do something with A water. towel. Yeah, yeah, where he sort of um, rolls up a towel and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting stuff. Um, so they get the haircut. Probably mm-hmm. get each other's names. You get your initials night shaved tick. into your head. Yeah, again, night tick in the back of your head. And then the hours before launch to fill with activities. Uh, the night before, the uh, they watch a 1970 or 1969, I read different dates, um, Russian movie called White Son of the Desert. It's a good luck tradition to sit down as a crew and watch this movie. I wonder who picked that one. A lot of responsibility first. Uh, yeah. Cosmonaut. <laughs> uh, and on launch day, apparently they drink champagne and sign the doors of their Cosmonaut hotel rooms. Which is quite nice to sign in, but I think don't drink champagne before the biggest mission you want. Also, they're not germs on them doors. Um, don't know. That's where they're staying though. Like they're just in quarantine from the outside world, so I don't know. Mm. There's only certain people who can see them. They can go and talk to them and stuff. I'd love to be one of the chosen ones. Um, but I think it's weird. I'm assuming they have a sip of champagne rather than necking a bottle before they go because <laughs> they have to do a lot of stuff the don't drink. they yeah but they have to do a lot of stuff it's like if i was to go and drive in to work and i just had a bottle of champagne <laughs> why, why can't they share a bottle between the three of them because it's too i'm saying it's too much they, they, I don't they're driving a rocket lana no a lot of it's automatic we've been through this i know but if anything goes wrong then they have to be able to react <laughs> i don't think they're stupid enough to get drunk before you can't drunk drive a rocket drunk. so <laughs> Um, so anyway, apparently according to a BBC.com article that I read from 2014, they also tried to counter the effects of space sickness in the lead up, like hours before launch, seemingly, by deliberately disorientating the astronauts before they launch. A few hours before flight, each crew member is spun on swivel chairs and tilted upside down on special beds to prepare them for the zero G experience. It is debated whether this works. I could have a job. I can spin people on swivel chairs. I think it's so, like, obviously the special special beds, I'm assuming, are quite intricate. They'll spin you all different ways and stuff, but swivel chairs... It sounds like Space Mountain. You would not enjoy it. I wouldn't enjoy it. But it's it's weird that they do that, isn't it? Swivel chairs remind me of uni. We used to spin each other on swivel chairs and have races down corridors. I think... I could do this. Sounds like an absolute riot. (laughs) (laughs) But I reckon they're feeling a bit sick. They've drank too much, and then they've. I no, I don't think it'll work though. I think it'd only work. No, I think it. So say you went on Space Mountain, Matt. You mm-hmm. didn't feel very well. And if somehow I'd managed to convince you to go on again, I'm fairly sure you'd be, feel worse. Yeah, exactly. So why are they doing that? I don't that? know. I don't know. You tried, and I rejected. Um, <laughs> a new tradition from 1994 onwards has been the blessing. Um, I, this is the sentence that makes sense. A um, a new tradition has been that the a, an Orthodox priest uh, blesses both the rocket and the crew. I'm surprised launch. that wasn't before, to be honest. Surprised that one wasn't from the start. Back to the fun ones. Okay. Last three. Mm-hmm. On the way to the launch pad in 1961, Gagarin asked the bus to stop so you could have a wee. You get a bus to the launch pad. He got out and he urinated against the back right-hand tyre of the bus. And now um, the astronauts... This doesn't seem related, but it is. Now the astronauts wear nappies and are strapped into their three-layer spacesuits, which are sealed and leak-tested before they get on the bus to launch pad. Nevertheless, male astronauts are still expected to leave leave the bus, unzip their suits and urinate on the back right-hand tyre. That's bizarre. Do they just form a line behind it? 
Like one behind the other. Like, what if yeah. you don't have a wee ready? What if you don't? What if you wee shy and you can't know, do that's it on what the, I mean. the tire? So, um, suit what technicians. Sort of how smelly will that tire be? Suit technicians then have to redo the zipping them up all over again, which I think. Why is... do it in the first place? Because you need to make sure it's ready. You don't want to get on the bus and then be like. Bring the few spares. Few spare what suits? suits? But I don't know. I don't know one. I don't know how that all works. You change the dressing room. Put anyway. it at the other end. Anyway, but they need to be make sure they don't get any germs. What about girls? Female astronauts have been known to bring vials of their urine to splash on the wheels. Why can't they all do that? Why do they have to do it in the first place? <laughs> it's a tradition, and it's bad luck apparently if you don't do it. Well, I wouldn't do it. But um, oh, you'd be getting kicked out of cosmonaut school. But I just, I just think that. I yeah, I have understand. questions because the, if you're unzipping and stuff, you get it. I don't know if it's to like you sealed in because you don't want to be exposed to anything before you get, you know, you go from your hotel, you get into the. I think it's more to get them ready. It's like if you go go karting, you put your suit on before yeah, you get on the track, just just so that they know your suit fits you. So I think that's what they're doing rather than protecting yeah. them from anything. Because if you go go karting, they're go- not trying to protect me from any fumes or anything. On the track. Not getting changed on the track. So, but anyway, yeah, I find it strange. Um, I don't understand why they all can't take a vial. Why do the men have to get out the suits? I think some people do. They don't get out the suits. They probably have a little zip. I don't know. You have to pull it down. I don't know. They're wearing nappies. When the girls can take vials, you take your vial and then you can wee in peace. Um, on the launch pad in April nineteen sixty-one goes back to Yuri. He was waiting to set off into space and he mm-hmm. asked Mission Control to play some music over the intercom. They put on a record of Russian love songs and exactly the same thing happens today. Although you have a broader selection of tunes. It sounds like Yuri did whatever he wanted. Yeah, whatever it was. To it cool, literally to, like, was. calm him down and then I now... Wait, get off the bus. Yeah. I'll just wait on the side of the and bus. And now everybody else has to do it. Imagine <laughs> yeah. if you're like proper stressed. You're like, right, I need quiet. You're like, Yuri, listen to these Russian love songs because of you. I know the stuff. But yeah. whatever you want, really. Um, I know, but if you need quiet, you can't. No, it's after, I think it's, it's in between. You've done all your checks and everything. And then sometimes... I think in Chris Hadfield's book, got mm-hmm. it here. <laughs> you have to wait for like sometimes it's hours. Yeah, yeah, it's a long time before they set off. So but you still, um... you might need quiet. You might want a nap in your head. Mm. You can't because you have to follow Yuri's footsteps. <laughs> and finally, during every Russian rocket launch, there can be seen a cuddly toy hanging from the instrument panel in the uh, in the shuttle. Why you shaking your head? Seems bizarre. These are mascots. What are the toys of? But also serve a purpose. <laughs> I'll tell you now. Um, I'll tell you in a second. The When the rockets are finished burning and the size reaches orbit, the toys will float free, indicating to the crew that they are now in weightlessness. Okay. The great sense. Yeah. You get up there, you look around. Oh, little R2-D2s floating away. <laughs> One of them was R2D2. That's why I said it. You should take a little Disney toy. Yeah. So there was an R2D2 one I saw. There was also a guy, I can't remember if he was American or Canadian, but he took his daughter's little pet giraffe. Mm. But I thought, is that not quarantine issue? Is that not quarantine issue? Um, not on the outside of the spaceship. No, it's on the inside. It. Oh, right. Yeah, so there. Oh, so they are the instrument I thought yeah. floating off into no, space. No, 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 no. No, no, no. So it's connected on the inside of the instrument panel. It's just Understand. hanging down. Only oh, a yeah, yeah, that is a quarantine And then issue. that float, that begins to float and you realise oh, it. because it would have just probably burnt in Because everything else is it? probably strapped down. You're strapped down. There's not much room, is there? Mm. Um, and that is my report on space. Very good report. Russia. Soviet Union space. Bit of the space race. First space station. Tragedy. And then... Um, some uh, rituals and traditions that they follow. Good. Before and, and during launch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Very good. Thank you. As you say, um, we sort of covered a, a movie corner previously. Yeah. First Man comes out in a couple of weeks by yep. Oscar-winning director Damien Chazelle. over here. Yeah, I don't like <laughs> not getting paid. We should be. 
Um, I don't think there is a, a film about the um, the tragedy. Seem, mm, seems like there might like be. a Russian film about it. Um, there is a maybe this is a short film. Yeah, it's a short film from two thousand seven. Which is a look into the last three minutes of uh, of the disaster. That got great reviews. I don't think I'd want to look into the minutes. That of all the minutes of while they're up there, that's not the bits I want to see. But I think I think that the um, those three. I think there's only been one other death during in the Soviet space program that we know of. Um, so this is quite it's quite a big moment in uh, yeah. in space history. It was also seemed like a massive achievement, and I bet everyone was celebrating. And then, and it, then it wasn't came crashing down. Still a great achievement. They stayed up there for so long. Oh yeah, yeah. Space station, everything <clears throat> like that. Um, do you want to wrap up? I will do. If you have liked today's episode, um, you can find all our others on your podcast app. We would love it if you could give us a review. Um, five stars is great. Um, tell a friend. Download some. As we've mentioned before, we've got quite a few related to what we saw in Paris. So look out for our social media for them. Um, our Instagram's at Idiots Talk History. Our Twitter is at Idiot History Pod. And our email is at IdiotHistoryPod at gmail.com. And our Facebook page is Idiots Talk History. So you can find us on any of them. They're all in the show notes. I understand yep. it's confusing. Yeah. Apologies. It's useful. If you just search Idiot's Talk History on any um, social media, you will find us. Yeah. And you can get in touch with us that way if you need to. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Not sure what it's on yet. No, not a clue. Mm. But thanks for listening yes. to this thanks one. thanks for listening. And we'll speak to you next week. Yep. Bye. Bye.